Now listen, we are partway through our series called Love Matters. We are talking about love, we are talking about relationships, we've been talking about sexuality. And uh, I think it's been amazing. I, I genuinely think it's been super helpful. It encourages me to think that the Bible actually talks about real stuff, huh? And actually things that actually genuinely impact our lives. And uh, one of the things though that we have been saying right the way through this series is that if it is the case that you are a guest here today, maybe you are not a Christian, maybe you've come here for the very first time, uh, we are so very glad that you're here. Genuinely, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome you here. But I recognize that some of the things that I'm going to share through this message just now might be different to some of the messages and communication that you have heard right the way through your life, okay? Now, I'm not trying to force you into believing anything, okay? What I'm trying to do is to honor Jesus, honor his word, because as Christians here at the King's Arms, we really do want to follow Jesus. And we're the sort of people, guys, who, for us, we want to make the Bible our blueprint for life. And so we take this thing seriously and we want to work out what is this to say to us and how are we going to engage with it as we talk about some of these key issues. So if you do not agree with me after today, all I would ask is please can we still be friends? Would that be all right? I hope so. Because today we are going to look at the subject of sex, pornography, and purity. So there's that. As uh, Paul had previously said, I'm going to try as best I can, guys, to speak with real authenticity, kind of brutal honesty in one respect, and so I really just hope that you bear with me in that, and it is very much a kind of 12A certificate. And uh, honestly, guys, now as a 38-year-old leader in a church, I would say I, I kind of wish that I had a different story. I wish that some of the things that happened to me hadn't have happened, and I wish I hadn't seen some of the things that I had seen, done the things that I have done. I was uh, first introduced to porn around about the age of nine. And so a friend and I were out in a park and uh, we stumbled across some magazines, which we were very excited about the prospect of taking home. We split them up between us. And uh, I remember hiding them in my kind of top shelf of my wardrobe underneath the Lego, underneath a bit of foam and in a cardboard box. And uh, as it were, that was the, the, the place that, I, you know, late at night I would go and start reading and looking at and, I remember uh, as I got into my first job around about the age of 14 or 15, kind of older people who worked alongside me introduced my first kind of videos, kind of watching pornographic material. I remember for a birthday present, a friend of mine kind of gave me my first tapes. It was back in the days of VHS. I am that old. And uh, I remember going off to a university around the time of the kind of explosion of the internet. And, uh, and so to be honest with you, watching pornography, it just became normal. It was kind of just what we do, or certainly what I did. And um, at the time, I don't think I would have called, my, called myself a porn addict. But I think the realization that actually, as you kind of look back and realize the, uh, the frequency and work out how it's one of those things that you do time and time again, and you get into a habitual pattern of behavior. And it was just a regular part of life. I was figuring no one gets hurt. And actually, around about the age of 14, I started kind of dating. At 15, I lost my virginity. And it kind of started a pattern probably for the next 10 years where I would go from one relationship to the next, never lasting more than around about a year, but just looking for satisfaction in sexual relationships. You know, sometimes they would last up to a year, sometimes a single night. And in the midst of this, in the midst of my kind of brokenness, I did all sorts of things trying to kind of find love and, and just to kind of satisfy that kind of yearning that many of us actually have in our lives. So whether it's going to lap dance clubs or whether it's going to sex shows in Thailand or Amsterdam. I was that guy. 
I was the sort of person who actually was just pursuing the, 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 the next kick to make sure that I kind of felt satisfied. Now, the reality is that many people have a story like mine. That's sad though it is, but praise God that I met Jesus. As a 24-year-old, as a and it changed everything. And I want to ask as best I can that you understand that I've got a past, but Jesus has rescued me. And actually, he is the hope for you and I, and he is the one who specializes in redemption stories. And so right here this day, I want to share a little bit about my redemption story, okay? Because I also want to believe for your freedom. No matter what the background and situation and circumstance that you come from. Now, as we've been looking at in this series, sex is a big deal. The whole world seems to be talking about it. We realize that Hollywood is shouting about it. Movies, TVs, magazines, most often speaking about sexual relationships outside the marriage bed. Society is speaking up about sex, and we seem to be swallowing and buying what they are selling. Then there's the internet. One in four searches on the internet is for sex-related things. You know that? One in four. 30% of all data on the internet transferred is pornography. And 75% of that is consumed on a mobile phone. Okay? So... We're going to have a ministry moment. We're going to pass the baskets around. If you could all put your phones in. We're going to make a big pile at the front. We're going to burn this thing. It's going to be amazing. Fire for the glory of the Lord. No, we're not really. Listen, I, I know many of you guys will read your Bible on your phone, okay? There's nothing, uh, there's nothing wrong, actually, with a mobile phone. But actually, there's a whole lot that's wrong with sometimes our hearts in the midst of it. But listen, we need to remind ourselves of the foundation that we've been talking about in this series, okay? And so you guys, some of you will know that. If you're here for the first time, this is absolutely critical, okay? Listen to me. God loves sex. Can I get a hallelujah? There we go. All right. It wasn't very loud, by the way, but that's all right. God genuinely loves sex. He's not opposed to sex. In fact, I would say he created sex. Genesis 1, which we've read, is in the midst of God creating things. It says this, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. I don't know whether any of you guys are old enough to remember the 80s movie called The Gremlins. Remember these? You know, all you need to do is throw a little bit of water on them, and they start spouting off little baby gremlins, okay? We're not those things. He knew what was going to happen, okay? He knew that we were going to come together in pleasure and appreciation, and we were going to multiply. We were going to be fruitful. This was God's original intention, okay? He didn't let Adam and Eve come together naked in the garden, turn around for a coffee, turn around and freak out. What is going on? Get off her, right? Didn't happen. He knew. He says they were in the garden, they were naked, and they were unashamed. God says, I've created you to be fruitful and to multiply. In fact, I tell you why I know it's a big deal. Because in the Bible, it records the very first ever poem. Adam, a guy writing poetry, by the way, he's like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know there's something significant going on when a guy's writing poetry, right? But my conviction is this. If God, if sex is God-given, sex should be God-governed, okay? Now I'm 38 years of age. But I realized that even in my 38 years, actually maybe he's been around a little bit longer to realize that he knows best, okay? To get the most out of sex, you have to give it to the one who designed it. Think about it like this, okay? If I uh, were to look at my Apple instructions for my phone, 
you know, would it say in there somewhere, try not to get it wet? How would you feel about, well, maybe let's go swimming with the iPhone. Of course, you wouldn't think that Apple, because they don't want you to go swimming that thing, are killjoys, yeah? There's no, there's no kind of Apple-a-phobia in the midst of that. They're not trying to restrict your uh, fun by stopping you from go swimming with that thing. We understand that rules help us to get the, the most out of our phones. I remember, you know, a, a guy who was discipling me at the time, a guy called Ewan, and he took me bowling. And we went bowling in Bedford where the alley used to be before it was closed down. And um, I remember him talking to me about two things that night. First of all, he talked to me about tithing. Cheers. <laughs> Secondly, he talked to me about the fact that I was still having sex with my girlfriend after I'd become a Christian. And so we had a conversation about that. And suddenly I woke up to the fact that actually this precious gift is designed for marriage. Am I going to be real with that? And you know what? It was, wasn't an easy thing. I had to go and have a conversation with her to say, do you know what? I'm not entirely sure this is God's best for us, but it was the right thing. Giving something like that up isn't always easy. But I just need to say something that we've been re- reminding ourselves of, that for me, knowing Jesus is worth any sacrifice. Knowing him, pursuing him is worth any sacrifice. See, sex is pleasurable, but it's also powerful. And if you take it out of the marriage bed, it can do damage. Just as it would be the case that someone who's picking up a chainsaw and swinging that thing around, actually, it can be incredibly good, but of course, incredibly damaging. Fire outside of a fireplace can do incredible damage. The world says to us that sex is about recreational fun, self-fulfillment, exploration. But the reality is that's not what I've seen. And actually, I'm not even talking about STDs and unwanted pregnancies. That's not what I'm talking about. But listen to me. If, if I genuinely wanted to take you out, I would go after sexual sin in your life. What I would do is that I wouldn't come after you with this sudden, massive situation where there was huge temptation all at once. But I'd wait for a time when you were emotionally exhausted. Maybe you just had a row with someone, you're feeling low. Maybe late at night when you're tired, when the house is quiet and no one else is around. And I would encourage you just to take a peek at one of those sites. I'd even whisper into your ear, just, just so you can see what everyone else is doing. And I'd look for maybe a situation to manipulate. Where you're together, maybe with a young friend who you like the look of and who tends to sympathize with you and lends you a shoulder. And I tell you, it was just this one time. There's no need to tell anyone, but I would start to reel you in. I'd start to make you think that, actually, to get that same buzz, though, you need to just go a little bit further. But I'd keep you living this kind of double life where you've got a mask on with your friends and maybe with your church family. And maybe I'd even get you into leadership. That way that when the most people are trusting you, Coming out has the biggest impact on those people who are around you. Then I'd be ready to go public. This stuff is real. The media see portrays that sexual immorality is, is just a bit of fun. It's, uh, and forgive my bluntness, but I felt the pain when I've shared my own sexual sin and baggage. And I've sat with others who have done the same. I've seen marriages that it has wrecked. I've seen boyfriends and girlfriends who are riddled with shame, and I've seen teenagers who wish they had not got drunk. The Bible states, and Jesus confirms, that marriage is the only context for sex. 
one man, one woman, permanent, promised, and committed to one another. Some people suggest that waiting until you get to that context, waiting until you get there, is uh, not the sort of thing you should do. You're missing out. You're not having fun. You don't know what you're ordering. Let me tell you, it's one big, fat, stinking lie. God doesn't want, if you're dating here, God doesn't want for you to settle for any kind of hidden, rushed, dirty, stolen intimacy. He's something so much better for you. He wants to give you the very best gift on your honeymoon that you can enjoy in a committed relationship. So now you might think, what about this gift, okay? Powerful though, it's, though it might be, is there anything wrong with being as, as frequent and as flexible as we possibly can? Well, listen, I'm going to steal a line from a very famous song from, I think, the 90s from the Bloodhound Gang. And this was their opinion. They said, you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel, right? Is that all that we are? Is that all that we are? Just like monkeys, hey? Well, Genesis 2, which again we've looked at, says a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Some translations call it one flesh. Not only does it say in Genesis, but it says it's repeated in Matthew by Jesus, and it's repeated by Paul in his letter to Ephesus. Sex goes well beyond a physical act. It is not just skin on skin something deeply profound and deeply spiritual. Two are becoming one. And if I wanted to get another pop culture reference in, I'd talk about the Spice Girls right now, but I'm not going to do that. You are literally mingling your soul with another person. And that's an incredible thing. A pastor called Louis Giglio says it like this, there isn't a condom big enough to fit over your whole soul. You know, on my, um, on my wedding day, it's a picture of us. We've been married just over 11 years. How young and fresh do we look, by the way? You're welcome. And um, listen, on my wedding day, I made a commitment to Philippa. And I made a commitment that I still ferociously want to fulfill. That I love her. And that covenant means that I'm not going anywhere. And I love her not just for her body. I love her for her soul. And I love her for her mind. And I love her for her emotions. And I'm so committed to her that actually if sex were not on the table because of things that we're working through, because of baggage, because of pain from the past, because of the fact that we've got young children in the house or because of sickness, all of which actually we've wrestled through. But actually I am still absolutely, ferociously, completely committed to this woman. It brings us, I guess, to kind of what the world has made of this stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit about pornography. In a moment, I'm going to show you a little video, not of pornography. <laughs> I really hadn't thought that through before I said it. <laughs> it was a good gag. I might even now use it on the sec second meeting. <laughs> uh, we're going to watch a little video from a, a, a group, okay? Now, this is a non-religious group, okay? So these are not speaking from a religious point of view. It's very important to say. And uh, this, uh, the website they represent is called fightthenewdrug.org, okay? And so if we can kill the lights, and if Luke, you can pop this video on. It's only two minutes long. Look at what it says. You see, if you were to go onto your phone, if you were to uh, sit on the internet in any uh, place that you want, 
within a few clicks, you could find this kind of endless world of extreme images and videos of honestly any inconceivable genre. And when you uh, dig beneath the surface, when we start to look at porn users and the effects on them, though, what we see is that they experience much higher rates of depression, lower rates of physical health. Right across the globe, we're seeing sexual addiction and dysfunction going through the roof. It's frightening. Let me give you a couple of statistics that came from just one porn website from last year, 2018. These guys got 33.5 billion visits. That's 1,000 visits every single second. In total, 109 billion videos were watched. That's 14 videos watched for every person on the entire planet. And the amount of hours consumed in one year by one pornographic website was the equivalent of 629,000 years of content. Now, this um, obviously is like a bright, shining light on this stuff, but what's also frightening to me is that the average age of children's first exposure to pornography is actually 11. And in the study that was recently conducted, 70% of children had come across pornographic material as they were searching for homework. A 2019 study of young people, 77% of men acknowledged that in the last month they've watched X-rated material. 47% of women. This is not a male-only problem. Some people do think through maybe certain tinted glasses, well, maybe that's the problem out there. What about in the church? Uh, now, obviously, I, I don't know. Outside of estimations that have been made across the church. So Premier Christian Radio in 2015 did some research and that suggested that 42% of Christian men said they had some sort of porn addiction. And do you know what? I'm not daft enough to think that that is not the case here. Some people have, even as they're hearing me talk about this stuff, are wanting to shrink into their chairs. I just remind you about that prophetic word that came and the theme of the entire morning. What was it? That shame and lies written on that curtain. What did God want to do? He wanted you to realize that that thing has been torn in two. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can be free today. You might be thinking to yourself, maybe you're wondering, look, I've already messed up, so there's no hope for me. I've already done it, so it's probably not that big a deal anymore. I might as well just carry on. Now, if you're one of them, you need to know that it is not too late. You have not gone too far. Your greatest days can come after your greatest challenges and your biggest failures. Jesus turned water into wine, right? And so he can make something new out of you. He can bring beauty out of ashes and he can bring light out of darkness. Isn't that good news? Oh, thank you, Lord. I want to just finish up by talking about living free. How do, how do we go about doing this then? You see, can God forgive me? Absolutely. But there actually is a difference between forgiveness and consequences. And God would much rather be blessing you now and using you to transform your world than just forgiving you. Okay? He wants to bless you. Now, I've lived with massive regret. And you've heard those daft phrases, right? Which, you know, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. Listen, only your money stays in Vegas. Okay? 
everything else that you have seen, everything else that you've done, you can't undo those experiences. You are shaping your life by the things and the reactions and the, and the, 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 the things that you're pursuing in that regard. None of us can go back in time. Now, Jesus is 100% love and he is 100% truth. He's beautifully both of those two things. We've been looking at this. And I just want to read you a few verses of what Jesus himself said about this. Matthew 5. Jesus himself speaking says, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Eek. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown to hell. Wow. Now listen, Jesus consistently raises the bar when it comes to our sinful behavior and the ethics that we should pursue. So some people, and listen, I've been in this place. Some people might have questions about like, how far can we actually go? Because, you know, we're, we're basically married in our hearts. You ever heard that before? Can we, can we just, like, get naked? Is that okay? Just maybe once. What about, what about if we don't actually have sex, but we do other stuff? You know, what about if we've still got our clothes on? Outside of the clothes, that's okay, right? I mean, Jesus goes way beyond all that stuff. He goes way beyond all that stuff. And he's saying that even to lust after someone who is outside of the marriage covenant and context with lust actually is sinful. Now, this is serious. Before, though, people come back uh, looking like a pirate next week, okay? Patch on the eye, hook on the arm, right? Peg leg, chopping those bad boys off. No, listen, before you go, come back looking like a pirate, you need to understand that Jesus is using something called hyperbole, okay? He's using very extreme language so that we understand that this is a big deal, okay? He's basically saying this is so important because it affects your soul, the very point of who you are. We need to be serious with this. In the life of our minds, where are we allowing our thoughts to drift? With the intent of our eyes, what are we looking at? Where you glance, what, what's going on in your mind and in your heart? It's the song of songs that says, do not awaken love until it's ready. And this is so broad. I recognize that in the midst of, of purity, it goes far beyond just sexual addiction. But obviously, for the sake of the series, I'm going to stay in that zone for a moment, okay? And this um, could include flirting in the offices, could include texting people inappropriately, could include chat rooms and all sorts of different things. But let me just come and be nice and practical for the remaining time that we've got, okay? First thing I want to say to you is this. We need to stay close to Jesus. The greatest weapon that you and I have in this battle against lust, is a vibrant, growing, passionate relationship with Jesus. It's being filled with the Spirit. 
where should we run? Let me tell you a, uh, a verse from 1 Corinthians. It says, run from sexual sin. Run, flee, peg it, get out of there. Whatever it takes to move, run away from it. No other sin, it says, so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. The body that God inhabits as a temple. Where should we run? We should run to Jesus, into the loving, graceful, merciful, beautiful arms of Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but there, there's, there's been stacks of times when I've tried in my own strength to do something, right? And, and there's then a, habits and behaviors. And honestly, these things are incredibly difficult to break on our own. No matter how hard we try, we would tend to stumble and to fall. Only Jesus has the ability to transform our hearts. Do you know that? He literally, there's occasions when he just breathes on dry bones, hard hearts, those who are cold and distant, and they come alive. And we need to be asking, Jesus, come and make my heart alive again. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're a guest here today, okay? And this is an unusual week to come and listen to someone talk about this stuff. I just want to explain, though, that Jesus isn't a to-do list, okay? Knowing God, it's not about, I'm going to go through these certain rituals and tick them off, and now I'm a Christian, being a Christian is a living relationship with God the Father through Jesus. That's a privilege and that is a joy. But this living relationship is something that we need to invest in. Outside of him, I actually go as far as saying you are always going to have lust. Without the power and the significance and the favor of the Holy Spirit. Now when you feel tempted... And honestly, again, I would put it out there that I think most of us will feel tempted in some way, in some form. When we feel tempted, when we need comfort, when we need security, when we need love, where do we go? Because actually where we might run to will never truly satisfy us. It's like we're drinking from the toilet. Instead, living water is birthed in only one, and that's the living God. Someone say amen. Someone say amen louder. Amen. <laughs> Second thing we need to do is to use wisdom, okay? Practical, godly wisdom. And the first thing within that category I would say is, are you walking in the light? 1 John 1, 7 says, if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, we are fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I guess it was a year or so ago when I shared a story here, actually, of the fact that, for me, I was massively gripped by my past. Some of the things I've already told you about in this message, you know, about the things that I'd done, the things that I'd seen, the things that I'd watched, the thing that I'd got up to with different people. And I remember just this feeling of shame and embarrassment and are people going to judge me? Are people going to reject me? I remember grabbing hold of, I just couldn't live with this anymore. I remember grabbing hold of two friends. Their names were Rory and Jim. And uh, I remember writing, it was about nine pages of handwritten text. And I knew I had to write it down because otherwise I just wouldn't have said it. I wrote down all these texts in nine pages, and I, I kind of got them you know, on their own and just started reading this stuff out and weeping, weeping, weeping as the worst sin and grot and shame and embarrassment just spilled out of me. And then there was just this, this stunning moment where not only did they come and just give me these beautiful, butch, manly hugs, but then they took these pieces of paper, put a match to it, and put it in the fire. And the freedom... The freedom of knowing that I'm walking in the light with other people. Now listen, what I need to say to you though, is that that's not the only time I've had to have conversations like that. 
In fact, honestly, I think I've lost, lost count of the number of times when something else has come up, something in my behavior or something in my thinking or something from the past. And do you know what? Honestly, I kind of think that's just got to become normal. Continue to confess your sins to people. Walk in the light so that we might be free. I remember an occasion when I was at a conference. Suddenly this horrific image, one of the worst things that I've ever stumbled across, just lodged its way into my mind. I'm like, I'm at a Christian conference. This is horrific. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head. I must have seen this thing, I don't know, seven, eight years previously. And, and I, I was stuck. And in my heart, I was like, I, I cannot share this. The shame and the regret and the embarrassment is too much. Praise God for just that moment of confidence and courage and boldness to say, I need to talk to someone. And even through the stuttering and the brokenness and the shame, to speak to someone, suddenly being free. I want you to have it. I want you to know the freedom of being someone who lives in the light. And listen, on the back of me talking today, there are people who right now, right now, have that tapping. The tapping not of condemnation, but of conviction that says, who are you going to speak to? It could be a friend. It could be someone else in, in, in your group, if you're part of our group life here. It could be someone who is a leader in the church. Maybe you need to uh, get in touch with us here. Maybe you need to seek professional support. We're not professional counselors. We might sometimes point people toward them. Tell someone. Second thing is that we need to live around Christians. You see, we're made for community. And so I would ask you, who are the people who are speaking into your life? Now, I've already told you about some of the ways that people have provoked me in terms of some of the things that they've called out in me. And I guess a provocation for you and I to think about is, are the people we're spending time with, are they drawing us away from Christ? Or are they drawing us toward him? Now, I'm not talking about actually reaching out to people outside the church. Actually, I'm talking about your Christian friends. Have you got people who are inspiring you to be more like Jesus? Praise God for those friends. I'm so grateful for them. Who genuinely point you to say, actually, I see this in you. And I want to think and believe and support you in the very best. Are your friends helping you to become more like him? And it was a big revelation for me, actually. Simon reminded this of me, to me. A big revelation when you realize that actually sex is often not just about sex. It's about intimacy. People who struggle with porn are usually not craving sex, they're craving intimacy. And so we need to feed ourselves from the right place. Healthy friendships with Christ, with Jesus, walking with him day by day, but also with other men or with other women. If we can satisfy this need for intimacy in a really healthy way, then we won't be tempted to pursue it illegitimately. Now, if you're struggling... Ask for help. Ask for help. Don't do it on your own. Walk with others. And this is true of all sorts of different things, whether you're struggling with gossip or you're struggling with excessive alcohol. You know, I became a Christian in 2004. It was in 2005 when I, still getting drunk, came to church hungover. And I came in and halfway through the preach, I had to leave the meeting because I thought I was going to be sick. And I stood over the toilet bowl. And I looked at myself in the mirror and said, from this day forward, I'm not going to do this again. I haven't been drunk since. You see, not everyone's journey is straight, okay? Sometimes there are steps back and bumps in the road, 
But actually, sometimes there is a decision that says you're going to pursue. But I've also, though, in the midst of that, had to, I've had people around me who can support me in that. And I've made practical decisions and used practical wisdom, seeking accountability. And this leads on to the third thing of, are we making good choices? You see, for me at that point, if I drive to go out in an evening when I see my friends, suddenly I'm not going to drink, right? Or I realize that when I'm, if I drink, I'm stupid. I spend more money than I want to. I, I'm more aggressive and more uh, unpleasant than I ever have been. Do I want to be that person? Do I want to be that person? Do I want to feel like this the following day and regret the things that I did the night before? So I'm going to stop. And actually, I just need to say that I'm not against alcohol. Jesus turned water into wine, right? But actually, I also believe there's a command in the Bible that says, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's better for you. Philippians 4 says, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and most worthy of praise. You see, we can sometimes need to use personal legalism. Now, in a church, that word is, is, is a bad word, okay, because we're not legalists. Actually, we want to be the sort of people who, who, who give people freedom just as Jesus did. But I know that for me, it's been a good thing to put healthy boundaries around myself, okay? Now, practical example, you know, not going out at night with a group of mates who I know that's what they're going to be doing. Practical boundary. For me, when we were dating, actually, maybe it's not the best idea to start a movie 10.30 at night, snuggling on the sofa, only going to go one way, okay? You just need to think about what are the practical boundaries that you need to put in. Maybe it's not going on that work trip on your own. Maybe it's adding some accountability software onto your phone. Or maybe it's memorizing some Bible verses. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then finally, just listen to the Holy Spirit. He will speak to you. If we tune into you, you have got a conscience and it is sharp. It's only those who have absolutely blunted that thing. And he's brilliant at pricking your conscience. It's not in condemnation, but conviction. You sometimes maybe need to ask him, what am I watching? What am I reading? You see, what's helpful for you, you might not have to climb up and reach to the shop's top shelf for, okay? Just because something's not X-rated does not mean it's healthy for you. This could be true of all sorts of different things. I'm not going to give you a list. Because actually, as soon as we start giving a list, you think, oh, it's not on the list, and therefore I can do it. So the reality is, listen to the Holy Spirit. Rather than asking the question, well, what is porn and what is allowed? Ask God, is this good for me? Is this, is this as we said, pure, lovely, admirable, true, honorable, right? Is it excellent and worthy of praise? If the answer is no, don't go there. We're going to come into a close, okay? This been helpful? You're very quiet. <laughs> listen, like every other sin, Sexual sin has been paid for as the blood of Jesus trickled down that rugged cross. Like all sin, sexual sin is forgivable. God can and will forgive you if you ask him. I desperately don't want you to feel any weight of shame. There's no shame. But maybe Holy Spirit speaking to you just now. Maybe he wants to give you hope for change. Maybe you want to make this day the day that says, from this day forward, with the bumps and with the challenges, I'm not going to be perfect, but there will be progress. See, we're called to be different in this church. Different from the world, 
And we don't do it to earn God's approval. We have it. We do it from God's approval. You see, at 24 years age, of age, I stumbled into the church. I gave my heart to Jesus. He washed me clean, and he washes me every single day. His mercies, the Bible says, are new every single morning. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And you know what we're going to do? Is this not going to be a morning where I'm going to call out individuals? But this is going to be a moment where you and your heart can make a decision to live differently and to pursue Christ. That's an incredible psalm. It was written by David in a very complicated situation in his life, which I wanted us to just read out together, actually, but a slightly adapted version based on what I've been sharing this morning. It was interesting that prophetically two people grabbed me this morning in the midst of the prayer meeting and were like, I really feel like God's got something about Psalm 51. And someone else was like, I've got Psalm 51 as well. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I've got Psalm 51 too. It's a beautiful prophetic encouragement. It's going to appear on the screen behind us. And listen, there's two ways that we can read something like this. We can read it as rote to go through the motions. Just get out of the way and my, uh, I went to church and I got through something. I was told to do it. Or we can own it. And we can say, Jesus, make this true of me. Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart. David, I wasn't clear about this. Should we read this together? I'm going to read from this version. I think I might have missed it. I'll tell you what the first line was. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew my steadfast spirit within me. That's a good line, right? We're going to go for this one. Have mercy on us, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain our sins. Wash us clean from guilt. Purify us against you we have sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. Purify us from our sins and we'll be clean. Wash us and we'll be whiter than snow. Give us back our joy again. Create in us a clean heart. Restore to us the joy of your salvation in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. 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 Let's just give him a shout of praise for a moment. Just lift your hands, clap and cheer, and know that he has set you free from all shame and condemnation. God, we honor you this day. Amen.